she told me at the very beginning, she said, most of the methods that are in existence now move too quickly for very average students. Hi, I'm Ben Capolo, and welcome to All Keyed Up, Creative Conversations for Today's Piano Teachers. Thanks so much for listening. Today, I will be speaking with Flo Arnold. Flo Arnold is the owner of Pianimals, Inc., having previously served as co-owner with Marie Price from 1995 until Marie's passing in 2014. She also has taught piano for decades, both at the Pianimals Music School that she founded and the Children's Music School that Marie owned. Today, Flo has overseen the growth of Pianimals from a studio in Florida to the present day with roughly 80,000 copies sold. Flo, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Today, we're going to talk about Pianimals. Although you were an integral part of the formation of this book, the founder of the series and associated music school was Marie Price, who unfortunately passed away in 2014. Can you speak about your collaborative process with Marie and her role compared to yours in developing Pianimals? Yes. Well, Marie was an accomplished pianist who um, we both went to the Iris Daniel Engel School of Music here in uh, Central Florida back in the 50s, and but Marie was just an amazing pianist, and at 16, Mrs. Engel got her to teach, began teaching her how to teach piano for her students in her studio, and so Marie taught for three decades before she and her pastor husband moved back here to Central Florida, and she asked me to come and teach for her, and although I had taught many other things, high school English, and tutored in math, and even a little bit of children's tennis, I had never taught piano. Marie knew that. So she said, Flo, you'll be great. You're just going to love every second minute of it. And I found out it was the most wonderful thing I'd ever tried to do besides being a mom. <laughs> great. Uh, now, I'd like to speak a little bit about some of Marie's teaching philosophies today, both on the macro and micro level. Uh, one element of Pianimals that I really admire is that it introduces one concept at a time. And importantly, once a new concept is introduced, several songs go by that explore that concept before introducing another one. And in my opinion, structuring method books in this way helps helps make the students feel prouder of their successes, and it allows them to truly experience and work with these concepts, as opposed to always be thinking about the next concept. Can you talk about the this topic and the pacing of concepts in Pianimals, and if there's anything? Marie spoke to you perhaps about that in her philosophy of teaching? Well, yes, Marie, the bottom line for her, she felt that people want their children to take piano, but that the retention rate for students was so low but that children want to do something that's comfortable for them. They want to play fun music, and they want to have a good experience, and their parents want that for them, but their parents also understand that it helps their brains, and they would love for them to be able to play as an adult, whereas the child just wants to have fun. So the bottom line for Marie, after getting the students, which wasn't that difficult, was to retain the students. She told me at the very beginning, she said, most of the methods that are in existence now move too quickly for very average students. And for her to communicate what she had learned through all the years of her own teaching to, and, and the serpentine method that she had created for herself, to communicate that to a whole bunch of other teachers. I mean, at one point in the music studio, she had 10 teachers and 300 students coming through the uh, doors every week. and it was so complicated, and this was taking 
piano teaching back about a step and a half from what was absolute, was actually available back in the early 90s. Because then the, the easiest thing a child could ever see when, when taking the beginning piano lesson was um, music notes with letters inside of them. But she took it all the way back to that, mm -hmm. to that e much easier thing because she had positioned her music school this time very smartly right next to a children's fitness center. And we had, they had children, babies were coming over there, but people were calling her, asking her to teach their three-year-olds. And I mean, it, we, we did not teach the three-year-olds, but we would take the five. And sometimes, sometimes I walked in and she had got, had me a student that was four. So it was a very challenging experience to teach a four-year-old. And yet what I found was that with what she had, and she also did some groups at the beginning, and then she would funnel those into the private lessons. But she, it was very, it worked. That, that's the basic thing is that it worked. Well, that's very inspirational that it started out with just a teaching philosophy that she was teaching to um, her other teachers and to you. And then it evolved into this huge book with that concept of really make sure that the kids understand what they're doing. Don't jump the gun. Don't feel like you need to get to um, note reading too quickly. And then it launched into this gigantic series. I do want to talk now a little bit more about some of the minutia of the book. So the Pianimals website says, I'm quoting, it was a lengthy process to collect all the necessary skills and put them into order to create a suitable method for children. So I would like to dig into this and talk a little bit about sequencing. So the sequencing of book A is first to introduce high and low sounds on black keys, then right hand finger numbers, then left hand uh, finger numbers. And the way of introducing the left hand is interesting. There's one song of left hand only, and then a bunch of songs where the left hand plays an inversion of what the right hand had just played, which I thought was an interesting teaching approach to introducing left hand fingers. Then book B is letter names, then it introduces rhythmic notation, then accidentals, but we don't reach full staff notation until book C, which goes back to the point you were making earlier in this interview about taking it back a few steps. Can you talk about how you and Marie decided upon the sequencing for the music in the series that goes through the pre-reading phase before you introduce full staff notation? Yes. Okay. Um, I, I mentioned before the little black key pieces that, that mm -hmm. even a three-year-old can do. And I would like to say that um, for any piano teacher that has siblings that are taking piano lessons, and then you've got a three-year-old or a four-year-old that's sitting in the waiting room listening to the whole lesson but isn't getting anything. Yep, I've had that. All the time. Okay. Um, what we learned was Go and get that child about the last two or three minutes of the sibling's lesson. Bring them in there and show them how to play the bunny hop. Mm -hmm. A three-year-old can do that. And it's finally this child has something that they can do. And you're just generating business for the future. Yeah. And, and you can let them play that at a piano party. You can, you can, you can allow this child to play. Or if they get tired of doing that one, they can, they can play the, they can play the little dog song on the two black keys. Now as to, the progression of this, um, the first song that we have, for example, with finger numbers, um, it has three ones and a hold, two, two, one, 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 two, 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 three, all the way up like that. Yep. The second song progresses to rocking back and forth, one, five, one, five, one, two, mm -hmm. three, four, five. Okay. The third song now teaches them you, you can't just go one, two, three, four, five. You have to look at the page. And do what it says. So it's one, one, and then two, 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 and then three, 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 and then just one, four, and hold it. 
So they have to look at the music and do what is said there. Yeah, you can't just lock into a pattern and then figuring it out without reading the music. That's exactly right. And so they're they're learning each one of these little skills. The next one looks like it's a very easy song, and it is easy for eight-year-olds or something, but it goes one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, two, one, one, one. That is very difficult for a little small child to, to go backwards to trans, to do a U-turn. So every one of these things is just a little skill that might be very easy and can just be easily skipped, or it's something that has to be worked on. And after that, they're able to start to play little songs. So then they can play Mary Had a Little Lamb and Twinkle Twinkle Little Every child in the world wants to play Twinkle Twinkle Little Star because it's also the alphabet song. <laughs> and then we go to the left hand. When they learn to play the left hand, to work the left hand, as you mentioned, back and forth. So, so I remember the day that I came into the studio and Marie said, we've skipped a step because we had gone straight from the left hand warm up to hot cross buns, which was right hand music and then left hand music. She said, they have to learn to keep both of their hands up on the keyboard all the time. So we're going to go one, two, three, right hand, and then one, two, three, left hand. Yes. That's the song called right hand, left hand. Uh-huh. Yes. And so she, that was the step, but she did that to all the time. She would say, we'd skip this step. And sometimes I would say it. Just see one little step that's been skipped because if it's a skill and they haven't learned it, then they're not going to be successful right. the next day. Mm-hmm. Uh, then it just goes through a bunch of songs after that that we just put in there to let the child have some time playing. Because one of the points that Marie always made was people teach something and then they feel like, okay, I've taught that. Now I'm going to move and teach something else. No. Once you've taught them something, give them right. a chance to enjoy it. Give yeah. them a little break. And even, um, and, and of course, definitely we did that with the, with the numbers. And then they're really ready to go to the letters. Uh, mm-hmm. Many teachers have said to me, I just can't believe how easily the child transitions right to the letters. I thought it would be difficult, but no. We put the we put the numbers on with the letters one page, and then they are gone. And we even tell them at the top of that page, and and we don't encourage you to write them in. <laughs> we don't don't write them in because because sometimes we ha- we have to tell them these things because. Um, sometimes it's new teachers, sometimes it's homeschool parents who are who are teaching their own children, and they order pee animals. And and we had the notes to teachers. We took the little giraffe and made. A, I found myself sitting there with a child and saying something to the child, and I thought, why don't I just put this in the books? People don't want, as a teacher, you don't want to be flipping back and forth between the teacher's manual and and the lesson book. Just put everything into one book. Put all the theory in the book. Put the fun pieces in the book, put the learning pieces in the book, put everything yeah. in one book. And the, you don't want a child to be getting three books at a time. Yeah, it makes it easier also for the teachers to teach an integrated lesson in that way, when you can teach it all, the theory portion of the lesson and the repertoire all from the same book. Right. And then and then they get a book more often. And they also get a little sticker every time they've completed it, so they have a feeling of success. And um, even after they are into... Uh, Far, the farther books, Marie would say, let's put a holding pattern right here. What have you got that you can put right here? Let's go find something and put three pieces right here. So even in um, in the third book, in book C, when we're teaching note reading, and after we've taught A, B, C, D, E, she said, okay, now we need a holding pattern. Let's, let's don't just throw F and G at them. Let's, let's just have a hold. And so there are three thoughts. I'm so sorry. Can you clarify what you mean by holding pattern? So that there would be a one week, for example, if you're teaching the note, C, and maybe I jumped ahead a little bit. So teaching the note middle C, and I do want to say something about that actually before I go to that. 
um, in, in book B, there is a place where it says, start book C now. And that is right before the accidentals. Because when you start teaching middle C, and there are just two songs with nothing but middle C, <laughs> that is so boring. However, not a problem, because we, are, we also show them the flat, and then they can learn. They can be playing several little interesting songs in the pre-read while they are learning the very uh. boring, the very boring songs. And, and, and these pre-read songs will last three or four more weeks while they are learning the first three or four uh. notes. That's a very good teaching suggestion. So that, and that's good, I think, for some of our listeners who use this book that when you're in the middle of book B, watch out for that sign that says teach book C now. So then you don't get to a point where you eventually have one week where all the student has to learn is the pieces that are just middle C. They can, as you say, be learning that concurrent with the pre-reading pieces that are a little bit flashier. Exactly. And it just makes it, we just try to keep it fun. Plus, you know, the accidentals, that, that's, that's a little bit of a learning curve too. Mm-hmm. They're, they're learning to put their fingers in the, on different keys and the, the sharp means not that you don't play the regular F or whatever, or the, or the regular B flat means you don't play the regular B. And so then after they get to um, the boring songs, then they have something more interesting to play. Great. Uh, now, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, you mentioned middle C. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about hand positions. Uh, so Pianimals is very centered around C position. In books A to C and part of book D, the left hand is in F position and the right hand is in C position. Then in book E, we move the left hand to C position. And then in book F, we move the right hand out of C position into G position. And so it definitely gives the students a home base centered around C position when they sit um, at the piano, which is contrasting from some other method books that switch out of C position much earlier. Can you talk about you and Marie's decision to use C position as a base as opposed to changing more frequently? Well, we don't have any difficulty with students moving out of those positions if they're able to do it. Okay. We're certainly not ever trying to hold anyone back, Mm -hmm. but it's just, you just wouldn't take the training wheels off of a child's bicycle until you feel like they can ride it adequately in order to be able to do that. So we're just trying to be the training girls. We're not trying to hold any student back. Uh, You will see in book G that, and and we do have some places where we are moving their hands around a little bit. And um, then when you get to book G, which is where the G position comes in, then we we have the little mini scales too. So they're playing the mini scales for C, D, E, F, and G. So they are moving their hands up to that spot from all those different. I did want to point out one thing about um, the method that we used in book C, and, and all of them really, is that um, we do, we have, we've tried to use every one of the learning modes that a teacher would want to use or a student might need in order to learn. So even though we are teaching one note at a time, which is very obvious, we also are giving an overview of all of the notes at the very beginning of book C. And again, you will see that in book E where we're teaching the other new notes and again in book G. All of the different pianimals are introduced at the beginning because some people go better from whole to part and some better do better from part to whole. And I think it would be motivating for a student to know what they're working towards. Exactly. And and as far as uh, the FACE, you will see that also in book G. 
and you will see the, we change it to clams. All clams eat gunk because our low C is a clam. So we have, so we do have those little rhymes for the kids. And also, um, whenever we are teaching the G, we have made the line darker and pointed out the line as a darker line there for G and how the treble clef goes around. And, and in the F, it's a reef. We pointed out the F, the landmark as an F, um, as a reef in the sea. Mm -hmm. So we're just, we're just trying, and we even say darken the G line here. So, mm -hmm. We are trying to use every one of those possible methods. Yeah. I also wanted to just throw out, um, earlier we were talking about uh, keeping the training wheels on for a C position. One thing that I've tried, I don't know if you've ever tried this um, or if anyone at the Pianimo School has tried this, is if it's a student who's a little more advanced, is having them try to transpose the songs. So if it's a song with finger numbers only, saying, what would this sound like if we moved up to D position? And then they'll say, oh, now it sounds angry. And what if we said, um, as ways of just periodically giving them a taste of not C position while still rooting them in C position as a way to keep them feeling confident and being sure that they know all of the notes that they play. I want to talk a little bit about um, so an element of the book that I know you yourself had a big role in, which is the lyrics. Um, a lot of the songs in the book have the lyrics written in, and I know you played an important role in that process. In my own studio, I've experimented with different strategies when I'm confronted in pieces uh, that use uh, lyrics in that way. Sometimes I teach the students to sing the song with no piano, and then I have them learn it on the piano, and then at singing after. Sometimes I um, do both at the same time. Sometimes I just sing it for myself as a demonstration, but then I don't really ever ask the student to sing. I haven't actually really settled for myself teaching-wise on a preferred method for what to do when method books such as Pianimals have lyrics written in. Um, and I guess it depends on the student to some extent. Do you have any recommendations or thoughts as to different ways teachers can deal with the lyrics that are written into the songs in Pianimals? Well, I, I just, I, I always considered the lyrics as motivation for the children to know what the song is about. Mm -hmm. Because if you just call it, I mean, some, some, some pieces don't have any words, like for Elise doesn't have any words. Right. And people love that. But some, if it's a song and has real words, and I always thought it was kind of fun to put them in there, but I never tried to require my students to sing them. Oh, okay. It's okay if they want to, but they're just basically there for entertainment or whatever. Oh, that's interesting. I never I never required anyone to sing, although some students want to sing. That goes to my point. I think I try to base it on the students, but I could also see your point about, um, like, if it's a song that has a specific title about, like, the beach or something, and all you have is just the C position notes, you could run the risk that if there's no lyrics, the student will be like, this doesn't have anything to do with the beach. So writing in lyrics is one way to tie it to the concept of the title. Do you have any other tips or ideas you'd like to provide for teachers listening to this podcast who already use this pian who already use pianimals in their studio? Well, um, I would um, like to suggest that it's always fun to use Beanie Babies or stuffed animals at your piano. I keep a whole set of our pianimals that I got on eBay for, you know, they're, they're very inexpensive and they sit right on the piano. Um, I've, I've often said to children here, let's play, let's play for the dog. Let's play the dog song for the dog or the cat song for the cat. And they love that. And then there comes an age where you don't do that anymore, but you know, a, a four or five, six year old, they love that. And I ask them if they have any stuffed animals at home that they can play for. 
and sometimes they say they actually play for their real cat or their real dog, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter, but anything that we can use. That's a great suggestion. You could even do that in an online lesson. I've never actually tried that with a student asking them, do you have any stuffed animals in the house that we could play your piece for? And then you could bring the stuffed animal and set it up like an audience member. That's actually not something I've ever tried. I'm going to try that now that you suggested that. Thank you for that suggestion. It's very, very fun. Here, here's another one that you might enjoy. This is a little octopus finger puppet. And, um, Event, when we in our in our ebook we have and we teach the children that well we've learned that it's it can make the music more interesting if you go up an octave or down an octave so this is octave his name is octave and he's an octopus and it, sometimes when the children forget to move their hands I would just kind of take this take the little stuffed animal and then and when they get through I just kind of throw it onto the keys instead of saying something and then they're like oh I forgot oh they, that's fun. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, it's it's just it's just cute. Yeah, that's definitely more fun than just saying do it up an octave, wrong octave. Exactly. It's, it's and, you, and it doesn't break, so you can just throw it onto the piano and nobody cares. I love that. <laughs> okay, great. Um, an another idea that um, Marie instituted at the music school from the very beginning, and I think it will work there or else in home, is piano parties. And I don't know if you've had anybody talking about piano parties before. I certainly don't want to be redundant. No. Let's hear about it. Tell me about piano parties. Well, um, studio, you know, here in Florida, studio teaching usually starts around the middle of August. You don't want to just start teaching in the middle of August and not have a recital until May. I mean, that is, you know, I mean, I can't even imagine doing that. So about the middle of October, but, I mean, from the very first, you know, child's playing a song they like and you say, ooh, that'd be really great to play for the piano party. And so we're, all, we're always looking, mm -hmm. because if you're not going to perform, what's, what's the point in playing piano? Yeah, and piano party has a more fun ring to it than Absolute, recital. Absolutely. And it gets them ready, and it gives, and it gives them confidence. So uh, if I were teaching four days, say, then I would have four piano parties, and it would be instead of a lesson that week. So that week there would be no lessons, but, but that afternoon, say, 4 o'clock, and it would usually end up last until about 6 uh, we, I would have them sign up, and it was really nice because they um, often take lessons with their friends. They've recommended their friends. Their friends come to the same place as they do, but they're not lessons not on the same day, so they don't see each other. But now they can sign up for the same piano party, and the older children could sign up more on one day or whatever, so they were allowed to switch days. But the parents were always there listening in, but the children are all up front, and they play two pieces each. I would usually start out playing myself. You, you you come play and then they each play two pieces. That doesn't take very long. They probably they can all do that in about fifteen minutes. Then I would usually I would usually buy uh, give the biography of a composer, so that it's a group lesson because because right. you, you don't want to charge them a lesson fee for just playing two pieces. It doesn't seem like they're getting their value. Um, right. So but then we talk about and the, everybody's out there and then I have a have a little basket full of rhythm instrument sticks. And the little clackers and a triangle and bells and all kinds of stuff, and pass them out to the students, and then whatever's left, pass them out to the mothers out in the and the siblings out in the living room, and then play something. Either I could, play, could record something on my little keyboard and then press the button and have it play, or find something on the computer to play, or put on a CD and whatever it is, they can be played and they can do the rhythm sticks to that, and then maybe have some kind of a little theory lesson thing on a blackboard or something on a whiteboard for maybe five minutes and uh, then I would order pizza and um, you say well that sounds expensive well no because you charge them for it in the fee 
up front. Right. You had mentioned earlier, yeah, there was a fee. Yeah. I mean, the mothers are eating and the siblings are eating and nobody's unhappy with pizza. So, so, um, that's a, that's a pan point. Oh, and then I have big games. So I have a panel board game. I have a bingo game. So, uh, then if somebody, if they leave, half of them would leave and then the others could stay and play the game if they wanted. So it's, it's a, it's a whole afternoon full of fun. Right. That sounds like a lot of fun. And finally, to wrap up, can you give us a sense, uh, to our listeners of where they can go if they would like to learn more about either you and if they'd like to consider using Pianimals materials in their studios? Well, we're, we're online, uh, pianimals.com. And I'll include a link to that in the show description. Our, our website probably needs to be updated, but. The information's there. <laughs> yeah, and I, I can vouch for that. I use it all the time. And I look forward to continuing to use Pianimals in my studio. And I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks to all of you for tuning in to All Keyed Up, Creative Conversations for Today's Piano Teachers. I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.